Welcome to the Growth Moves Podcast with Rob Tyson. Welcome back, listener. I'm here today with Emma Humphrey. Emma founded Genius, which is an award-winning creative agency that transforms brands and businesses into bigger, better versions of themselves. And I'm really happy to have Emma with us today because we are going to go through with Emma. She's going to take us through these seven steps to create a strong brand from scratch. Before we welcome Emma and get into it, if you're listening to this show, chances are good you have professional expertise that you would like to monetize. And you may be wondering how you can do that with an online business or having an online component in your business that will break the time for money link. So if you're interested in those kinds of things and you've done any research, one of the things you may have run into is this idea of the ascension model or the value ladder as an approach to do this kind of stuff. And there are some big problems with that approach. And I think there's a much better way. And if you pop along to robtyson.net forward slash class, you will find there is a free web class there. And that is going to explain exactly what you should do right now instead of the Ascension model. If you want to generate real cash flow quickly from your online product and get on the right track with monetizing your expertise uh, with an online program, that is something you can charge proper money for. So that is free. All you need to do is pop along to robtyson.net forward slash class for all the details. That is robtyson.net forward slash class. So with that all said, Emma, how the devil are you? Hi Rob, how are you doing? I'm really well and it's really good to see you. So we're going to talk about the seven steps to create a strong brand from scratch uh, in this show. But before we do that, just tell us briefly, what's your story? How did you get into this area in the first place? So I did a nonsense degree, um, took the first job that I was offered in sales, hated it, ended up in in-house marketing, um, found the bit of that that I loved was copywriting, and then went freelance into an agency and finally got frustrated with the agency model and decided to start my own. Okay. What was your nonsense degree out of interest? English philosophy and sociology. Good for absolutely nothing. Uh, be, be very careful. Um, I did the sociology degree. So, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so um, anyway, so let's talk about, uh, that, that's good to know anyway. Let's talk about a brand though. What is a brand? Because I think for a lot of people, uh, myself included to some extent, it feels like this very nebulous word. How do you define brand? So a lot of people think of brand, they think, oh, it's, you know, it's a logo, it's a color palette. But actually, it's, it's a lot bigger than that. It's your entire company's identity. So your culture, your values, what you stand for, how you deliver whatever it is that you're selling, that all comes into who you are as a brand. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying to you before we, we opened up today, um, I always remember this thing I heard Drayton Bird saying, and he, he said the best way to build a brand is to sell lots of things with your name on. And what do you think of that? Well, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Drayton Bird, having been a recipient of his excellent copywriting training. But I think where he's talking about brand, he's specifically talking about brand recognition. And yeah, obviously, if you want people to remember your name, the more often that they see it, the more likely they are to have recall of it. But brand as, a, as an area is a lot kind of bigger than that. 
obviously you want them to recognize your name, but if they associate your name with something poor, then that's not going to do you any good at all. You know, if you sell, you know, a million garden rakes with your name on it, but actually they all snap after 10 minutes, then that's, that's not going to be a good brand. It's not going to add value to your business. It's actually going to be quite damaging to be recognized as the person whose rakes break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, Let's talk about the steps then. So you've identified seven steps to setting up a brand from scratch. So, for example, if we if we had a new uh, a new product or a new business to launch, um, what are, would these steps apply if we you know if we're running a business but we've never really thought about brand? I mean, would you would you follow these uh, these seven steps or would you take any kind of a different approach? Um, I think there's kind of you can probably follow most of them, but you just want to take a slightly different tack if you've already got a brand in that if you've already got a company, even if you've done no work on your brand, you do actually have a brand for all that you haven't done any work on it. You know, there, there, there will be a company culture, a way of delivering things. You know, there's a lot of these things that are kind of already in place. So you would be looking at maybe like, how can I maybe change those and maneuver those to make them more appealing to my audience rather than if you're starting a company completely from scratch, you can decide at that point, you, you know, you've got a blank slate to just look at exactly what you want that company to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, that's interesting. So let's assume we are starting with a blank sheet of paper. Um, step one that you identify is brand positioning. So what does that mean? Yeah, brand, brand positioning is marketing jargon, really. This is all about knowing your market, knowing your customer. So you need to understand who it is you're going to sell to, what's important to them, what influences their buying decisions on your particular product, uh, product or service. Um, once you know that, you obviously need to figure out what have you got the potential to be to that audience that's different to whatever else is out there. So that might not necessarily be what you are right now, but you think that there is the potential for you as a company to be a certain thing. And then that identifies your, your potential playing field. You know, maybe you could be the friendliest company or the most convenient company to work for, or you could be, um, you know, you want to kind of identify what you can be that's different to all the other competitors out there, what you've got, or at least what you've got the potential to be. So is it fair to say we're looking for gaps in yes. the market? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But they're, they're, they're not just kind of random gaps. They're, they're gaps that fit with what your customer wants. You know, if, you're, if your customer is looking for kind of, you know, efficiency and um, kind of ease of use and stuff like that, there's, there's no point in you building something fluffy that says you're all cuddly bunnies that, you know, will wrap your arms around your customer and give them a great big hug because that's not going to work. And it's all about figuring out what what is it that your customer wants that is not currently being delivered in your space that given your you know your team you have the potential to deliver and if if we find that customers do want fluffy bunnies but that's not us you know if that's not part of our makeup what do we do i mean do we is it do we have to change or you know, so what I'm what I'm trying to ask, I suppose, is to what extent this is a kind of um, a top down or a bottom up approach, if you if you follow me. So, like, are we being guided sure. by the market, or are we, you know, are we being guided by what we as the leader of the business thinks we ought to be? 
So you, you've, you've got two, two routes at this point. If, if there's a disconnect between your customer and what you think you're able to do, um, you either change your customer and go and find somebody who's more aligned to what you're able to deliver, which is usually possible, or alternatively, you change the, the culture of your business. Most business owners will prefer to go and find a customer that actually wants things the way that they can deliver them because it can be incredibly challenging in a small business to completely change the way that you work and who you are it's it's much much better to actually think well do you know what it's a big wide world out there there's going to be a proportion of people who do want things the way that I deliver them it just might be where where I thought my market was actually it's not Mm -hmm. and can you give us one or two examples so are there are there any well-known businesses you can think of um that have a very clear clear position and, and what are those positions so we can recognize what we're looking at perhaps um so perhaps like less less well-known businesses but speaking from my own experience um we have a, a gym client who came to us saying that you know they, they they knew they needed to do something differently they wanted a brand that was different to anything else that was out there at the time um at the time fitness industry was wall-to-wall 20-somethings and scraps of lycra and all very hard language around you know get ripped sweat feel the burn you know all, all that kind of stuff and there was actually there was space in their market for something a bit friendlier, a bit more open and a bit more inclusive. And so we built them a, a, a brand that was very much around actually achieving a person's individual goals because we looked at their customer base and the majority of them weren't, in fact, 20-somethings looking for a six-pack. They were 50-somethings looking to stave off aging, still be able to run around with the kids or the grandkids. You know, they were there for health reasons rather than for aesthetic reasons. And they just felt completely alienated by this whole culture of like, you know, sort of Instagram friendly, lean, mean and keen types telling them that they've got to bash out 400 press ups before breakfast. Sure. And and so on a practical level with the brand positioning step, what are we actually doing at this stage? Like how how are we figuring this stuff out? So. At this stage, it's. It's more about looking internally at what you've got the potential to be. You don't necessarily have to confirm it at this stage. That comes next. So it's it's just sitting down, like you said, with a blank sheet of paper going, what what have we actually got the resources to be? You know, can, can we be the fastest? Can we be the most customer friendly? Can we be whatever and that that might not necessarily be at a a national or global scale when you're starting out it might be actually do you know what we can be the the friendliest in north london or we can be the most efficient in berkshire it's it can be location-based stuff Mm -hmm. okay all right and once once you figured that out you've then got to go and reconfirm that your 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 theory about the fact that that would appeal to your customer that that's actually going to work which is our, our step two. And this is step two. So so after we've 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 had a go at the positioning, the step two is brand research and strategy. And so at this point, we, as you say, we want to research and test those ideas with the target market. So how do we actually do that? I mean, are we talking about what are we doing? Is it like focus groups or how do we do that? It really depends on your your business and your resources. Um, In an ideal world, you would do a combination of um, qualitative and quantitative research. So for non-research boss, like your quantitative research is where you're sending out a survey, getting 2,000 responses to a set of 
yes or no ABC type questions and you're getting a kind of statistically meaningful result where your qualitative research is where you're sitting down with smaller groups of customers say in a focus group and actually kind of going over in a bit more detail how they feel about certain things and giving you the chance to actually interact with them and kind of draw out more detailed responses around particular things so um going back to the 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 gym example we had a, a list of potential values that they felt that they could be i think it was like it was quite a big list and maybe like 15 18 values and in the survey people were asked to identify which of those were important to them in a gym and from that we were able to draw out five values that were absolutely critical for them to deliver on um what when it came to kind of making that a reality we were then able to go back into the member base and say right okay so this is the stuff that we know is important to you what does that actually look like in the flesh you know what kind of things do you need to see a gym do so rather than just saying we're friendly what does friendly look like is that being greeted by name as you enter the club is that being you know sort of having somebody remember your birthday or is it more having somebody come over to you when you're struggling with a machine and show you how it works. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're getting more kind of context and detail on what, uh, like how to put a value into practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's really good. Um, and anything, anything else that's, that's sort of important to say with that step two, brand research and strategy. I think, it's don't don't be put off if if you haven't got a database of thousands to survey if you haven't got the time to run multiple focus groups don't be scared of doing what you can do because any interaction you get with your prospective customers like literally anything you can manage at all even if you know you're starting out and you say no 20 people that you might potentially sell to if you can just give a ring round to those 20 people and sound them out you're still going to be in a better spot than you would be if you did nothing Mm -hmm. I think often research is positioned as this kind of all or nothing thing where you either do this huge kind of, you know, 20, 30 grand project or you don't do anything at all. And particularly for a smaller business, that's not realistic. You're not going to put 30 grand into market research straight off the bat unless you've got funding. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you use your brain, you probably can go and get contact with your customers somehow, whether that's going to networking meetings, whether that's tapping up your own network. There's always ways that you can get to your customers and get to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you could, you know, you might not have 20 grand, but you could, you could make 20 phone calls, for example. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, obviously kind of research professionals would be kind of probably turning up their noses at me at this point going, oh, well, that's, that's not the correct way to do it. A lot of what we do when we start up businesses isn't best practices, isn't the perfect way to do things because we just don't have the resources to do it. But to my mind, doing something to give you that information is always better than doing nothing mm-hmm sure yeah okay all right so so that was brand research and strategy so the third step is brand planning so what's this all about so this is kind of the grunt work before you start making your your brand a reality um planning no, nobody enjoys doing planning but actually it's a really really good idea um you already know what kind of stuff you want to say, how are you going to say it, et cetera, et cetera. But you need to actually figure out what, where, where your brand's going to appear, what it needs to do. So this is literally a matter of kind of going through going, okay, so, you know, I'm a business, business services company, so I'm going to need a website. I'm going to need business cards. I'm going to need an email signature. I'm going to need 
all, all the assets that you might possibly need where's where's it where's the brand going to appear who's going to use it you know how of, of my team who, what kind of brand stuff are they going to do like what sort of help are they going to need in order to be able to use my new brand you know um if we've got physical premises even like some of the basics that trip people up are things like signage you know they go into it thinking oh you know i'll pay a couple of quid to get a logo done and they don't realize that by the time they've rolled it out all the different assets and signs and you know done all sorts of other bits and bobs put their logo on their car and all this stuff it all adds up and you need to be able to kind of figure that out before you get into the project otherwise you end up doing loads of kind of nice beautiful creative work you know creating your brand identity but you can't actually leverage it because you, you you're not in a position to roll it out mm-hmm. and so in terms of planning i mean is this what so what does what does this actually look like i mean are we looking at a calendar or are we looking at a kind of a document so I, I, always, I always start with just a document brain dump of literally every everywhere and every person who's going to touch your your brand. So it might be like, you know, you've got a big long list of stuff that you need to make, business cards, website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you've also got a list of people and what they're going to do with the brand. So like your, your finance team are going to have limited interaction with the brand, but they might well talk to people. So they're going to have to learn to talk as your brand talks. And, you know, there'll be stuff that falls out of their workload that you might not necessarily think about and think, oh, actually, no, they're going to need an invoice template and they're going to need a purchase order template and all this other stuff. When you actually start thinking about roles, it often sort of almost backfills into your list of assets because you you uncover stuff that's part of somebody else's everyday working life that they will need branded stuff. And you haven't thought about it because it's not something that you do day to day. Um, And then you know, people that are more involved with the brand, like your sales team and your customer service team, they're not people that really get brand as such, like they're not marketers, but they're going to need to be shown how to represent the brand properly in their way. Um, You know, a lot of that will be verbal. So uh, one of the big areas that people fall down in brand is that they've got all these very complicated brand like guidelines around how to use the logo and what color to use on this and what color to use on that. And they spend no time actually training people at the coalface who are talking to their customers how to represent the brand verbally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can completely, completely see that. Classic Um, example, like I've, I've dealt with a really lovely, fluffy software company who like you know they were they were really kind of all seemed very friendly and helpful and lovely and their customer service was lovely and then I had an issue with an invoice got a call from their finance team and the woman on the other end of the phone was literally the harshest little bulldog I've ever spoken to and I was like whoa where did that come from I thought you guys were this cuddly Californian whatever and you know she's just there going no can't do it can't do it can't do that no 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 your fault yeah do you think it was an interesting question there? I mean, do you think that because um, I, I suppose they maybe she would make the argument that it's my job to um, it's my job to be to be a bitch because um, <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I do. You know, I'm chasing people for money or I'm telling them I can't pay them. And I mean, what do you what do you, what do you make of that? So I suppose the wider question then is how much. How restrictive are the are these um, these brand ideas, and how much how much do you know? Should people rein in their own style in order to fit in with uh, with the with the brand planning, the brand plan? Well, I think it's 
like for me, really successful brands hire people that align to their values. Mm -hmm. And therefore you don't get into that position where you've got somebody who's got a complete misconception as to what their, their job is, that you've already hired somebody who can deal with, you know, potentially quite difficult issues, like you mentioned, like sort of paying people or getting paid, that they can deal with those sensitively and with a degree of kind of empathy that enables them to relate on a level that you, you want them to with people and not make people feel bad. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, the the most successful brand rollouts that we've been involved in, they're companies who really realize that people are central to brand and that if they're going to pursue a particular avenue, which they were very keen to do, all of them, because they could see the potential commercial success of taking a brand in a direction, that they were going to have to hire people who could naturally be on brand. It's very very difficult to take somebody who is not naturally aligned to your values and make them live that in their working life it's just it's not really realistic and it it won't help you as a business owner because if you're trying to deliver on a promise that you know your customer wants and you're hiring people who can't deliver on that promise you're you're going to fail mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah no really interesting all right, so that was step three, brand planning. So step four is the fun stuff, as you put it. So <laughs> yeah. what is the fun stuff? So, so far, we've figured out what our position is, what messaging we're using, how, how we're taking that to market, um, you know, who's involved and what they're going to need. So now we get to do the good stuff all around, kind of, you know, what, what are we going to call the brand what's the logo going to look like color palettes the tone of voice all that kind of stuff that falls out of that all that kind of more academic work we did around research and strategy um it's it's how do we take what we know about what the customer wants and bring it to life um and then you're, you're working through that that list that you very painstakingly put together in your your brand planning and you sort of mentioned previously about calendars and stuff like that if you're i mean at this point you probably are working with some kind of brand agency who ought to be able to put that stuff into a project plan for you so that you're getting the things that you need immediately delivered before things that are potentially kind of nice to have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay okay that's so the bit is... that everyone always loves yeah like, well it's actually you're getting to look at the pretty stuff but where 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 a lot of kind of brand projects come adrift is that they talk about they, they go straight into this stuff you know what mm -hmm. do you want to look like what do you want to sound like you know what colors do you like and mm -hmm. actually it's all, all of all, all that stuff around you know colors design logo whatever all that is is a visual hook that helps the customer identify with all that really great stuff that sits behind it about what you stand for and how you deliver it and so on and so forth you, you don't you don't buy a new set of trainers just because they've got a tick on the side you buy a new set of trainers with a tick on the side because you understand that nike produce a better quality shoe than joe blog's chinese factory down the road mm-hmm mm -hmm. okay yeah no I'm completely completely with you on that so the the preparation and the thinking that goes in before any of that stuff is really where it's at that's the key thing absolutely mm -hmm. and where, where where that starts to get muddled as well sort of going back to the nike example is a lot of people will pick nike because it's nike because the fact that they've developed a reputation for good quality footwear has almost built up a kind of the, the brand has value in and of itself and people then see it as a status symbol they're not necessarily choosing it because of the quality of the shoe but because the symbol 
tells other people that they've invested in a quality shoe. And mm-hmm. that's, that's where it starts to get a little bit confusing mm-hmm. is where, where brands have got real momentum and people start choosing the brand just because of the brand. Mm. And I suppose this is where the great value is in working on this stuff and just doing it over time. I think, um, cause I think, I mean, if their slogan, for instance, I mean, um, I think that may be one of the longest lived in business history, actually. I yep. think I was reading about it the other day and, uh, you know, it's obviously been around for donkey's years and they're just complete, you know, just, you know, very disciplined, I guess, about, um, you know, repeating that and using it. Um, step five then is brand guidelines. So what are these? So most people, when I think of brand guidelines, think of an extensive 40 page document telling you how much white space to leave around the logo, mm. which one of the 43 shades in your secondary palette you can use where, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff's all really useful, should exist, and is used by anyone that's doing creative work for the business. So be that an internal marketing function, an external agency, all good stuff. But for me, that's not where the real value of brand guidelines lies. We actually always produce at least one secondary version that um, is more like a kind of user-friendly one that you can give to somebody in sales or in customer service or in finance that, that doesn't witter on about logos and hex codes and stuff like that, that actually just says, do you know what? This is who we are as a company. This is how we expect you to behave. Um, this is the kind of thing we do say. This is the kind of thing we don't say. Um, ideally, you would also produce training as well for each function to to kind of deepen that. But when we're talking about kind of brand guidelines outside marketing, we're talking like a one pager that they can have, you know, printed out and put on the wall or, you know, sort of taped to the side of their, their computer monitor or wherever they are, just a little something that will always remind them. Like one of um, my clients, one of his favorite party tricks, because we meet in different branches of their business and he, he likes to wander in and kind of pick a member of staff at random and go, what are our four P's and expect them to come back with the, the, what those are. But because they're really simple, like 99% of the time, the person comes straight back with a, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this. Mm-hmm. They understand that those, those are the four values that they've got to deliver on every day. And that's top of mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you said that because that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you make sure these these things are practical and used rather than stuck on a on a dusty shelf and and as you say so the some of the people doing the really technical work like the graphic designers might need this really granular stuff that explains you know the finer points of um, what they need to be doing with the graphic design but the, maybe the frontline staff just need this one or two pager thing it's almost like an executive summary I guess absolutely um, yeah that just kind of just kind of gets them the key stuff so they they get it fixed in their mind yeah that's good good stuff so moving on then so step number six uh is brand governance so what is this and why is it important so once we've created a wonderful brand that looks good sounds good appeals to our customer makes them want to buy our stuff we've got to make sure that that keeps happening um one of the biggest pitfalls in brand is that people spend a huge amount of time and effort on a brand project they create this wonderful brand and then they just let it go and it's a little bit like if you're if you're training a puppy and you've kind of you've gone to puppy classes and you're making great strides and then you get home and you just forget everything and just let the puppy do whatever it wants eventually it will develop bad habits because it's not getting any of those commands reinforced 
-hmm. and before long you'll have an absolute hell beast on your hands that <laughs> you're thinking about sending back to an animal shelter somewhere brands are very similar if you don't consistently measure and monitor how people are using brand and make sure that they are actually sticking to guidelines people will start doing their own thing it's 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 completely natural part of human behavior that we like to mess with things and if you're not the one checking that actually somebody hasn't plastered your logo six foot high in a red brick somewhere then people are going to do it and people start doing their own thing like you say like ideally if you've hired right people do live the values but if you're not constantly reminding them somebody comes in they're having a bad day they forget to live the values that day they burn a customer or six yeah so um, you... that's that's the start of the rot because once they've had one bad day and nobody's picked them up on it because nobody's thinking about it they'll come in and they have another bad day and then the person beside them suddenly they're having bad days too and before like before long you've got people not doing what you need them to do no i hear you so what's the solution do you 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 would um you have a kind of a brand nazi just like roaming the corridors and um <laughs> uh uh rep reprimanding people i mean seriously i mean how do you so whose whose responsibility is this and how do you try and enforce these things because you're you're absolutely right of course you know having gone to all this trouble if it's then not adhered to consistently then it's uh, it's all that effort wasted, isn't it? And you're back to square one. So how do you enforce it on a on a practical level? You know, if you have staff and so on, how do you make them so do what they should of, do? For the for the design side of things, you like you do have a brand guardian or Nazi or <laughs> I like guardians better. Yeah, let's let's yeah. just use that. But it's, yeah. it's 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 their job to review what's going on and to make sure everybody's on side. You can give yourself a bit of a fighting chance by trying to template as much as you can and lock down any elements of the template that you don't want messed with. Um, it, the more you expect people to do off their own back, the more chance there are of them screwing up. up. Like the, if you can kind of take the, the potential for screw ups out of their hands, you're going to make your job a lot easier. When it comes to the actual kind of culture and values piece, that's a real top down senior leadership thing to keep the focus on it, to be constantly checking in and, there's two kind of elements of that there's ongoing training as to how to deliver on the values and there's also celebrating the successes of the people that do incentivizing it so that you know whoever's giving you an example of the best best sort of lived values that month maybe they get a prize you know and they get sort of held up in front of the rest of the company as somebody who's really managed to deliver on brand for that month if you've got those kind of systems and processes in place it's very much more easy for it to become an integral part of your day-to-day -day because people are actually they, they've, they've got a reason to try then you're not just beating them over the head with with training there's actually something in it for them to be able to say Do you know what actually i've really nailed this and i'm going to get rewarded for it yeah no it's good it, it was making me think i i kind of did this actually a previous company so i'm not sure if we if we said this was one of our values but we had this thing for the staff and it was called um the easy to do business with award or something and the idea was and what happened was that at the end of the end of the month all the staff voted on which of their colleagues was easy to do business with and then the winner what they got home to go they got to go home at, you know a couple of hours early or something so it wasn't like a big prize but you know you could you could actually see it did make a difference because it did get people thinking about it and actually the people who won the prize 
um, they really enjoyed winning the prize, but it also, I think it sort of made quite an impression on them actually. So, so it doesn't have to be really um, complex what you do here, but you're right, it's just figuring out, well, what's that system? And it, the system can be as simple as, well, at the end of every month, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna reward people for displaying this and you can figure out how to do that. Absolutely. And the, the other thing as, as managers is to build those into your sort of systematic reviews. So when you're doing mm -hmm. somebody's annual review, look at how they're delivering against company values. Don't just look at their kind of role performance, like make that part of, of their review. You know, how can you as part of, you know, you do prep for reviews and whatever, you know, give, give me examples of how you've lived these values well this year, you know, which do you think you're strongest, which do you think you're weakest? And then you can actually build that into their personal development to actually help them on areas maybe where they struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right then. So, so our final step we're going to talk about is step seven. That is brand evolution. What's that all about? So, I don't advocate rebranding every three minutes by any stretch. Like you do, you have to have a brand in place for a good period of time to start getting that recognition. Um, I really like say generally, unless it's properly broken, leave things like your logo and your color palette alone. As we've just talked about with the Drake and Bird thing, the, the more people see something consistently, the more they're going to remember it. That's fine. Brand evolution is more like a kind of gentle shift based on what's going on in your business. So it might be that what you said 10 years ago doesn't quite fit with the way that you deliver things now or, you know, what was really appealing to customers 10 years ago doesn't, you know, it's, it's not as innovative as it was. It, we're not the only people doing it. So we have to think about, you know, what, what is it that we're offering now? Why are people choosing us now? And does, does our brand need to shift with that? So it's more, it tends to be things around like messaging and what you're actually saying about your business rather than like the necessarily the visual elements of it. Yeah. Because maybe the market's changed or, you know, you're serving different, you know, you've moved to different clients or whatever. Um, and obviously that happens arguably faster than ever these days. So, um, it's not every two minutes, but how often is it? I know this is a kind of a how long is a piece of string question, but I mean, is this, I mean, are we putting something in the diary annually to, to have a think about this or what, what, what do you reckon? I, I'd say at a bare minimum, you need an annual review. Okay. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make changes at that point, but it does mean that you take a real focused look at what brand is doing for your business, at least annually. If you're in a very fast moving setup, um, I'm thinking like sort of things like tech startups and whatever, where things change every two minutes, you might have to do them more often than that. Because mm -hmm. in, in the course of a year, you might have brought out suites and suites of different product applications. You might have gone into 4,000 different industries, you know, like th things move at crazy, crazy paces in some organizations. So I'd say like annually at a bare minimum, um, if you're if you're in a very slow moving environment, you know, some kind of heavy engineering where the tech hasn't changed like since your grandfather was a boy, then probably you don't need to be doing any more than that. But mm -hmm. if if you know that you're in a very fast moving environment and you can see like it's, it's not it's not rocket science. If you can see that your business is changing fundamentally like month to month, you probably do need to be doing more work just to make sure that the brand keeps pace. You need to stay in control of it. Like if if you don't take control of that process and guide where the brand's going to go if people spot the disconnect they're going to try and change it themselves because mm -hmm. people aren't stupid you're hiring really clever people and they're going to go right what we're saying is completely different to what we're delivering 
I'm going to go and reinvent my own little thing over here that better answers what what the customer wants and what we're delivering. And all of a sudden, you've lost control of your black brand completely. You know, it's being mm. delivered yeah. in a different way by sales, by customer service, by marketing, and everything's gone completely. Mm. Yeah. No, completely, completely. No, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, really good, really good. So, so wrapping up then a little bit. So, I'm just going to run over the steps again. So, step one, brand positioning. Step two, brand research and strategy. Step three was brand planning. Then, step four, we got into doing the fun stuff. And then, step five, brand guidelines. Step six, brand governance. And finally, step seven, brand evolution. So that's a really uh, helpful framework, Emma. Thanks. So if if listeners were only to take one nugget or piece of advice away from this conversation, what should that be? Brand is more than the visual and verbal external representation of your company. It is who you are. Okay. And what is one action they could take right now to make a start with this kind of work? I say it's that kind of brand review piece. Like, go go and sit down and have a look at how your company stacks up with your customer, stacks up with what you're presenting to the external world. See if there's that that joined up thing between we're doing what our customer wants and we're we're saying that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Where's the best place for people to go if they'd like to get more uh, from you, Emma? Um, we've just done a survey, actually. Um, we surveyed 200 senior marketers to find out what they're doing with brand, how often they're rebranding, what they're spending on different things, that sort of stuff. Um, and that's a free report that anybody can get if they went to our website, um, www.geniusmarketingltd.com. Or alternatively, people are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll send them a copy. Fantastic. Okay. No, really good. Well, thank you, Emma, so much. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you and so much for having me. No, you're, you're, you're very welcome. So thanks a lot. And I will see you soon. And listener, I will see you soon as well. Bye for now. Hey, it's Rob again. Want to build a successful online business from your expertise? Well, the game has changed. There are bigger opportunities, but also bigger pitfalls than ever before. And I would hate for you to waste years figuring these things out for yourself. Now, as a listener to this show, you're obviously a sensible person, right? So here's my invitation to you. Apply to jump on a call with me in the next few days and let's talk about you. You will get feedback on your ideas. You will get a product concept that is fit for right now and you will get a personalized sales and income plan to take away. That is free, but availability is limited. So please go along right now to chatwithrob.com. That is chatwithrob.com. Do that now. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Once again, that is chatwithrob.com. Talk to you soon.